What's up, guys? This is Blake, host of the That You May Know Him podcast, and welcome back to Two for Ten, the show where we study the Bible one book at a time, one verse at a time. Hey, real quick before we jump into today's episode, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel by clicking on that bell just to the bottom right of this screen. Also, if you're not yet subscribed to our podcast, you're missing out. Head to our website, thatyoumayknowhim.com forward slash listen. You'll find links to our show in every major podcasting app. Don't forget to do those two things. And now let's get into the book of Revelation. Guys, on today's episode, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. And we're not going to waste any time. We're going to jump right in. Hey, Jesus is going to once again commend a local church for something that they're doing well. But what it is that they're doing well is something most Christians today, particularly Christians in the West, would probably never, ever think of in their lives. Let's check it out. Revelation chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 go like this. Remember, this is Jesus speaking. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. That was Revelation chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Seemed a little bit brief, didn't it? Seemed a little bit maybe like a stomach punch. Well, look, if you've been following this series, you know, as we've been in Revelation Chapter 2, Jesus has been talking all through these first seven verses to the local church at Ephesus, a real church that existed in the first century in the Roman province of Asia in the city called Ephesus. So far, he has commended them for things that they're doing well. He's rebuked them for things that they're not doing well. And now we come to verse 6 where he turns around and he commends them once again for something that they're doing well, for something that they're doing right. What is it exactly? He says, yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Have you ever been taught or have you ever stopped to think about the fact that Jesus hates certain things? Have you ever been told that as a Christian, you should also hate certain things? Look, this is something that me growing up as a believer in Jesus, as a Christian, never, ever realized. In fact, I grew up in a Christian church where we used to talk about love and hate as if they were two separate things, as if they were mutually exclusive, as if they, they're incompatible with one another. Now look, love and hate are two separate things, but it's amazing when you realize that oftentimes they do go together. Love is not defined in the scriptures as tolerance. Love is not something that tolerates everything. In fact, love in the scriptures is synonymous with something completely different. Love is synonymous with righteousness. God loved us, his children, and so he gave his son, Jesus Christ, to what? To forgive and redeem us from sin, to make righteous people. 
God declares through Jesus, when we put our trust in Christ, he declares us righteous on the inside. And then the Christian life and the work of sanctification from that moment forward is the work of us in cooperation with the Holy Spirit working out what God has already worked in. He, he, he declares us righteous first through our faith, and then we learn through the Holy Spirit's guidance and inner working to become righteous people on the outside. Look, love and hatred are not mutually exclusive. If you love the Lord and if you love what he loves, there will be certain things you are called to hate, which is what we clearly see in this passage. Now, remember one thing. God never tells us to hate people. He tells us to hate falsehoods, false ideas, false ways of thinking, and evil works in the world. Sin and evil are two things that we are called to hate. Jesus says to the church at Ephesus, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. What were the works of the Nicolaitans? Well, the scholarship on this is pretty clear. It's pretty much a consensus. The Nicolaitans most likely were a group of early Christians, believe it or not, who were, well, they were self-identifying as Christian is what I really should say. Clearly, clearly from this passage, we see that they were not Christians in the eyes of the Lord, but they were a group that was a part of the early Christian church in Asia who were trying to equate Christianity with sexual immorality. In other words, they were trying to blend the two. They were going around saying that being a Christian is completely okay to be a Christian and to live and to act in licentiousness with sexual depravity, right? So as we know, in the early church in the first century, there were many, many different religions and the nation of Rome was becoming more and more sexually depraved seemingly by the day. And what you started to see at the turn of the century was people who claimed to be Christian coming into the church and saying, look, there's nothing wrong with being a Christian and also committing these acts that the apostles and the disciples of Jesus would have said flat out are completely unbiblical. This might sound crazy to some people, and if this sounds crazy to you, it's probably a good sign that you come from a strong Christian background. But look, this is not foreign to today at all. In the 60s, there was a movement in California, in my home state, the free love movement, where people tried to say that loving Jesus and living immorally and practicing sexual immorality were two completely compatible things. Even to this day, we have many so-called Christian churches who are trying to move the entire church in a direction where we approve and affirm every type of sexual activity. There's many, many churches out there and many pastors and many denominations and congregations who are saying Christians should not only allow people who practice and believe sexual immorality, we should affirm them in it. We should baptize them, even if they have not repented of those things. We should allow them to take communion, and we should even ordain them. We should even, we should even perform their wedding services. Look, let's get one thing straight. People who practice sin have a very specific name in Scripture. They're sinners. And guess what? We're all sinners in the eyes of God before we come to faith in Jesus. But sexual immorality is no different than any other sin. It's an act that we do that goes against God. 
And God says very simply, when you become a follower of Jesus, you have to live rightly. You have to live morally. You have to love what God loves and you have to walk in his ways. We as Christians cannot call things that God calls evil good and we cannot allow our churches to do the same. Jesus commends the church at Ephesus for loving what he loves and for hating what he hates. Human sexuality is made by God to be expressed in one way, in the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. That's it. People who go against that are not any worse than any other sinners living in the world. They're not any worse than you or I were before we came to faith in Christ. But we cannot, as Christians, call what God says is evil good. We cannot affirm it. We cannot try and blend blend worldliness with Christianity. They don't go together. Jesus and the disciples and the apostles and the Holy Spirit all through this book are very clear. When you follow Christ, you agree to take the narrow road. That means saying no to many, many things in this life. Not just things that we're asked to do, but ways that we're being called by our society to think. We have to think the way God thinks if we want to be his children. Okay, real quick to finish up this passage, Jesus says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. As we've said many, many times throughout this series, Revelation is a letter that it's a book that comes to us in the form of a letter, and it was written to seven individual churches, but it was it was meant to go to all of them, right? So in other words, this is a letter where seven churches are addressed, but it's meant for the entire church. Just like what? Just like this entire book. There is nothing in this book that carries more authority than anything else, okay? Many Christians today try and place certain books and certain parts of the Bible over others. And they say things like, well, that wasn't really written to the church. That was written to a different people living in a different time. Look, there's a difference between knowing where you are in history and elevating certain parts of Scripture that you like more than others over others. All of Scripture is given by God for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness to all of his people. This entire book applies. Every word of the book of Revelation is written to us and applies to us. And wouldn't you know, every single verse we cover has something that seems like it could be written exactly for us living today, doesn't it? It's amazing. Last thing Jesus says at the end of verse 7, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. It's very simple. Those who belong to Jesus, those who are his followers, those who are sons and daughters of God, they will persevere through this life and they will hold on to their faith in Jesus and they won't let go of it. When you do that, when you get through your life and you overcome, as Jesus said, when you conquer, he grants to you the opportunity one day in the future to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Do you know that every person who eats of that tree at that moment when they're given the right to eat of that tree of life, they will, be, they will have been made perfectly righteous. Our sanctification process will have been made complete And we will be righteous people restored to perfection. 
We will be in the presence of our holy and righteous God in his perfect city, in his perfect garden. And we will then get to partake of the tree of life, which will allow us to live forever with him. My friends, that is all the time we have for today. This has been Revelation chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Lot, lot of stuff in those two very short, very succinct verses. But man, every single word of God is powerful, is meaningful, and is effective, is, is meant to do something in our hearts and in our minds when we believe it. That's all the time we have for today. I'll be back on Thursday for 2 for 10, part, let's see, 16 at this point. We're going to get into Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 where Jesus addresses a different church. He addresses the church at Smyrna. Until then, I'm Blake Barbera signing off. Stay blessed, live love, and thank you for watching and listening to That You May Know Him.